morning, everybody. After Dan's comment, some of you are probably a little worried what's going to happen this morning. But we are in a uh, series that we started in January called Follow Me, and we're talking about doing that, just following Jesus. And many of you already are. So we said at the beginning of the year, let's, let's just act like it's the first time. Let's, let's have a fresh encounter with Christ. And uh, I mentioned the fact that it doesn't matter who you are. You can go on this journey, whether you're a believer, a doubter, even an atheist. Just, just give him a chance. Just follow him. But here's the thing. Along the way, we're all going to have to answer a question. Who is he? Is he who he claims to be, the son of God? Or is he just some religious teacher like many others, but he was really wise and really compassionate? And if we believe that he is the Son of God, which I'm assuming many of us do online, wherever you're watching and here at Eden Prairie, the question then becomes, how's that changing my conduct? How's that changing my behavior? Because if it doesn't change me, then I really must not believe who he claims to be. And so that's why we want to get up every day and say, okay, it's a brand new day. I'm going to follow Jesus today. And so in this second season of our series, we're going to be focusing on walking on this pathway of understanding as we've begun now our journey with Jesus. And the, and the understanding that we're talking about here is the kingdom of God, the mystery of God's kingdom. Because there's a clash that's taking place. Those of us who are followers of Christ, we've become citizens of God's kingdom, and his kingdom is in our hearts. Someday it'll be physical in a new world. But right now it's in our heart, and as we live in this world, we are actually living in a world that Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, is Satan's domain. It's his kingdom. And so it's kind of like when a thunderstorm happens, the cold front meets the hot, you know, the, the warm front, and you, and you have this friction. There's this, this friction that's going on. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to take kind of a, a step off the beaten path, and we're going to go on a little journey together, and we're going to encounter this, uh, this domain, this, this darkness, this, this kingdom of the evil one, and talk about how it can affect our lives, but also talk about how we can have victory in this, in this realm. So the passage I want you to turn to uh, today is found in Mark chapter 5, if you want to turn there. If you're using one of the Bibles we provide, it's page 1529-1529. And I encourage you to do that. It's too many passages, I'm not going to put them on the screen. Um, so Mark chapter 5, while you're doing that, I hope you're journaling along the journey as well. Because Pastor Kyle and I are not preaching on every single verse. Uh, we're preaching on sections, and we're expecting that you're kind of filling in between as you journal. So you can grab a journal today. If you don't have one, you can start anytime, or you can download one on um, the website as well. All right, with that said, let's begin, and we're not going to get very far. We're just going to start at verse 1. How's that? Mark writes and says, So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerizims. Now, Jesus is about to take his disciples and us vicariously across the lake over to this region that was only a couple miles away from the, where the disciples lived in Bethsaida and Capernaum to land of the Gerizims, which is Gentile territory. So in a sense, if we were Jews, we'd be trespassing on this territory because you know, a good Jew isn't going to go walk in those days on Gentile territory. If you do, you kind of shake the dust off your feet before you put your foot back down in your homeland. 
And we're about to encounter this madman who's possessed by, by thousands of, of demons. I mean, his, his life is just an absolute wreck and mess. But before we get there, we've been on the lake with Jesus. And if you read at the end of Mark chapter 4, you'll discover that there's this terrible storm that occurs on the lake. Like the worst storm it's probably ever had. And the boat is not very big. It's a small fishing boat. And there's 12 of them and Jesus in the boat. And it's just rocking back and forth violently. And we learned from Mark chapter 4 that they thought they were going to die. And some of these guys were seasoned mariners, so to speak. They spent their life on the lake. They just never had seen a storm like this before. And they're frantic and they're wondering, where is Jesus in the midst of this horrible storm? And they find him. He's sleeping in the hull of the boat, in the back of the boat. He must have been really tired to sleep in a, in a boat that's small and just being tossed all over the place by the waves and the wind and the screams of the disciples. And they, and they wake him up. And uh, as I think about what it says in verse 39, I, I think that when they woke Jesus up, I, I think he looked into their frightened faces, but I think he was, I think he was calm. I don't think he got upset. I think he looked out and saw the, the waves and he saw the wind blowing and, and then he utters these words. In the Greek, the word that he utters is siopa pepimaso. And I just think that's such a fun word. Let's say it together. Let's try it. Ready? Siopa pepimaso. What does that mean? Well, literally it means hush, be quiet. It means to muzzle something. In fact, this word pathemiso actually means to gag something. And as soon as Jesus speaks, it's like he gags the storm. It's like, it's like the water just lays down like a wild horse that's been tamed. And it's just calm and it's just serene. And then he looks at his disciples, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, and he says, what's wrong with you guys that you still don't have faith? And the guys look at each other and they're like, who is this? That when he speaks, like the wind stops and, the, and nature obeys him. See, they're, they're pursuing the same question that we are. Who is this? And if I really believe who he says he is, how is it changing my life? Because my life should be like radically different if I really believe that he is the son of God of God, that he rose from the dead and he's alive today and his spirit lives in me. Is there something missing in my belief that, that my life's not more changed as a result of this? And, and then they make their way over to, to the shore. Now, I don't think this was a coincidental storm. I think that this storm was whipped up by evil forces, by demonic forces trying to keep Jesus and the 12 from getting to where they're going because of what's about to happen there. So what happens there? We'll go back to the story. we pick up verse 2. It says, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains with his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. 
Now, if you had been with Jesus that day, what would you have thought? How would you have felt? You've just been through this horrible storm. You're standing on, on territory where the, it says the Decapolis, the 10 Greek cities were. You know, you know, like you've never been there before, even though it's a few miles away from your house, because like I said, no good Jew would enter into that territory. And you have this raving maniac who's possessed by demons coming at you. What would you think? How would you feel? Actually, let me ask you this question. What do you think about the whole demonic thing now, these days? Do you think it's true? Do you think it's real? Do you think it's a myth? I was really surprised by what the culture thinks. I came across a survey that was done by Gallup in 2023, that just last year, asking Americans what they thought about supernatural things. And I thought I'd just show you the results. 74% of Americans say they believe in God. By the way, it's down from 80. 69% in angels, 67 in heaven, 59 in hell, 58 in Satan, and 57% in the fact that you can be possessed by evil spirits. And I say I'm surprised by that because I thought it would have been a whole lot lower because, you know, we live in a, in a, in a, in a culture that kind of likes to brag about being secular and, you know, rational, empiricist, scientific. If we can't prove it in the laboratory, then we, then we don't believe it's true. But over half of us believe that the supernatural realm exists. And like 57% believe that there are demons and you can be possessed by those demons. I mean, that shouldn't surprise any of us. I mean, look at our culture today. Almost every movie has some supernatural element to it these days, doesn't it? I mean, there's even a TV series out there called Lucifer, where the devil comes back and, you know, and does his thing. And, and um, you know, we see horror movies and, you know, all kinds of stuff, zombies. And, I mean, we're just like we're fascinated with it, right? Like there's something inside of us that says there's something out there. In fact, our own government is spending billions of dollars trying to figure out do aliens really exist? Where does that come from? It comes from this sense in us that, that you know, there, there's something, there is something out there. Somebody has said, you know, really, when you, when you think about us, we're supernatural beings who happen to inhabit physical bodies. You ever thought about that? We know there's this, we know that there's this realm out there. But unfortunately, People get kind of messed up when they think about this realm. And, and unfortunately, even Christian authors and writers sometimes and, and, and people like you and me sitting in the pew, we can kind of get this whole thing distorted in our mind. And sometimes there's this idea out there in the world that, that Christians believe that everybody and everything has a devil in them or a devil behind them except for the Christian. Or that all the problems that we see in the world are being caused by demons. But that's not quite accurate. Here's how I, let, let me explain it this way to you. Let me put this passage up. This comes from Matthew chapter 4. <clears throat> it's a day in the life of Jesus as we've been reading in Mark. It says, so his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Now here's, here's why I want you to see that verse. First of all, it says, they brought him all the sick, but they're not demon-possessed. They bring those who are afflicted with diseases and pains. It says nothing about demons. It says, there are people that came with seizures. It says nothing about demons. Those who were paralytics. It says nothing about demons. And then it says, those who were oppressed by demons. So my whole point is, 
Just because something bad happens in your life doesn't mean that you have a demon in your life or that a demon necessarily causes it. Now, can demons take advantage of things in our lives like loss and sickness and so forth? Yes, of course they can. But this whole idea that everything in our life is, is caused by a demon is, is, not, is not necessarily accurate. Let me, just, let me just touch on mental illness for a little while. The reason I want to do that is I've shared with you my story. I've, I've told you I struggle with mental illness, particularly with OCD. Have my whole life. And there's kind of a stigma that attends people who struggle with mental illness, and many do. And the stigma is, oh my goodness, mental illness. You know, it'd be better to say I've had a heart attack or a broken arm. People will show you sympathy. You say I struggle with mental illness, they're like, hmm, I wonder what demon you've been, you know, exposed to. So, so the other day I, I saw a book on OCD written by a pastor, and I thought, oh, I'd like to see what he has to say, and maybe there's something helpful in it. So I picked it up, and I, I started reading it, and about a third of the way through, I put the thing down. Because about a third of the way through, what I discovered is he was saying, teaching, that, that OCD is basically a response that we have because we've been exposed or we've exposed ourselves to the demonic realm. Well, when I read that, that did not help my OCD. That made it worse. I had to go to my wife. Am I demon-possessed? She says sometimes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> of course, I probably could have paid for one of his seminars and been freed of it all. But anyway, um, you get my point, right? You get my point. Now, having said that, I really don't want to spend any I don't want to spend hardly any time on, on demon possession. I, I, I'm going to refer to something really quick about it, and then I want to move on to what I think is the biggest issue that we struggle with. And it's what I call, it's what's called demonization. But I'll get there in a minute. Let me just first of all say this. Most theologians, most scholars agree that you cannot be a truly born-again Christian and be possessed by the devil. I just want to make that clear. Sometimes you'll hear people say that it's possible. I, I really don't believe it is. Look at these two passages of Scripture. 1 John 4, 4 says, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people. He's talking about people who are in league with the evil one. Because the Spirit, capital S, who lives in you is greater, finish it with me, than the Spirit who lives in the world. And then this passage out of 2 Corinthians 6. And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Here's the point. The Holy Spirit is not going to share a room in your life with a demon. All right? So I don't believe you can be a true born-again believer and be demon-possessed. However, having said that, I believe you can be a born-again believer and be demonized. You say, what on earth does that mean? Well, it comes from this Greek word. And this Greek word is daimonizai. And it's the word that's being used here in Mark 5. And it's generally the word that's used to talk about demons in the New Testament. It's a very broad term that explains everything from being pestered to being possessed. I want to move to this part of it because I think... This is the part that many of you are experiencing and I have experienced. So how do I explain what it means to be demonized? 
And I thought about this, and I had some really technical ways to do it, and I was going to show off my Greek abilities, and then I realized that's going to fall flat. And I thought, I know the answer. This, like, this I understand personally. So I think you will as well. And it's going to resonate with Minnesotans. And if you're joining us online and you happen to live in the Arctic, you may not understand this. But if you live in a warm climate, you, climate, you will. So in the summertime, one of the things I enjoy is toward evening sitting on my porch or on the back deck. I, I like it because the wind calms down, the sun is starting to set, and I just like the stillness of it. I love to just kind of sit out there and meditate. But I've learned that there is a certain time, particularly in Minnesota, where at least Marsha and I, where we live, that you need to get off the porch and you need to get off the deck. Because there's a certain time when demons are released. <laughs> they are known as mosquitoes. And you can just be sitting there enjoying it and all of a sudden, right? Because you're getting bit, right? And it's miserable. And then you head for the door, and heaven forbid, you don't close that door right away. Because they come in. And I don't know how they know it, but they know where your bedroom is. <laughs> and they know where to hide. And they, they are very patient demons. They wait and wait until you finally get in the sack, and the lights go off, and they put their night vision goggles on. <laughs> and you know that sound? that's when you're in trouble. Because that's when you start slapping, right? It stopped, it's landed, you slap yourself, you slap your wife, you slap your, you know, okay, whatever. You're slapping everywhere. I gotta get this thing and, and it gets you. And, it's, and the rest of the night, you're absolutely miserable. That's what it means to be demonized, all right? What I'm saying is the evil one is present in this world. There are demons in this world, and they are influential, and they are at work. And so the question becomes, you know, if I go back to the mosquito illustration, how is it I could avoid being bitten by a mosquito? Well, don't stay out too long. Know when to come in. Know when they show up so you're not there. And keep the door closed. Now, how do you apply that spiritually? I did it this way. How can you avoid being spiritually demonized? Read it with me, if you don't mind. By not being where demons hang out and keeping the doors closed to your mind and heart from their influential presence. And like, like here are some key words. Influential, I guess we could put mind, we could put heart. See, that's the power of the evil one. He's very influential. You know, nowadays, people hire influencers to influence people to buy your product or to influence people to follow you or, you know, whatever it might be, right? Well, Satan is the most powerful influencer in the universe, and he has, he has at his beck and in league with him these unbodied demonic spirits that are very influential at all levels of society. And I want to suggest to you that there are three doors that you have to keep closed in your life. Because if you leave them open, the influencers will come. In fact, listen, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. There's within you and me as simple human beings, there's actually within us a desire to keep the door open. But I got a little bit ahead of myself. Let me, let me explain the three doors to you. This comes from 1 John chapter 2. 
I've had a couple of comments on here as well, in brackets. So John says, do not love the world. And what he means by world is like the world system, right? The, the human system we create. It's all influenced by evil. I mean, look at the world today. How can you not deny it, okay? Or the things in the world. So things that, you know, things we can be, that can turn into idols, money, sex, people, whatever. If anyone loves, and what he means by that is affections and desires the world, the love of the Father is not in him because the, the Father doesn't love the evil, you know, doesn't love evil, so neither should we. For all that is in the world, that world system, the desires of the flesh, oh, there's the doorway, and the desires of the eyes, there's the second doorway, and the pride of life, that's the third doorway, is not from the Father, but is from the world and its world system. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, it's not, you know, the world system is created by human beings like you and me. So those desires, listen, are in each one of us. So let me break it down for you. Let's look at the desires. The first door that he talks about is this lust of the flesh. What does he mean by that? Well, lust of the flesh refers to our, our physical cravings, our, our physical desires, our sexual uh, awareness, our sexual desires, being an example of it. Secondly, he talks about the door called the lust of the eyes. This refers to coveting. This refers to, you know, I see something and I want that, right? And, and I go spend my money on it, or I, it can be coveting a person. I see, you know, my neighbor's wife, I want her, right? I see my coworker, I want him, whatever it might be, right? And then thirdly, we have the pride of life. And the pride of life is, I made it, I'm successful. My career, my talent, my abilities, you know, I've been able to kind of, you know, I feel sorry for other people, but man, you know, I've been able to get my act together. All of us had that in our life. If we had like an hour, I'd have you turn to each other and have you say, I have this and I have this and I have this in my life, just so we own it, but we all have it. I have it, Dan has it, I see Heather sitting there, Heather has it, everybody here has it. Don't think to yourself that Billy Graham didn't have it. Or the most godly person you know doesn't have it. It's all in us, it's latent in us. And our job is to, is to keep the door shut. Because listen, there's also within us these internal compulsions that want to use those doorways and go where trouble is. So the way I put it is this. There are internal desires that drive us to the wrong places, that drive us through those doors. And I, I've listed, there, there are more, but I've listed five. Okay, here's the first one. Desire for approval. All of us have a desire for approval. All of us do. And that sometimes drives us through these doors, flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And we go seeking in the wrong places and from the wrong things, the wrong people to get approval. I mean, we'll go so far as to change our bodies or our gender, or whatever it might be, because I need, I want, I crave approval from some group, from some tribe, from society. Number two. There's within all of us a desire for power and control. We all have it. Those of you who are parents raising your kids, if they could be honest with you, they would say, I'd love to run the home. 
And then, you know, between spouses, there's power struggles. There's power struggles at school. There's power struggles at work, right? We all want to be in control. Number three, desire for comfort and pleasure. We all have feelings. And it is so hard not to be led by your feelings, isn't it? I don't care whether you're 12 or 90. We all have emotions, and our emotions can drive us. And and emotions, what they seek is gratification. It doesn't matter if it's short-term, long-term. Our emotions just want to be gratified. Number four, desire for recognition and success. We all want to be recognized. We all want success. And for a lot of us, what what happens is it becomes about our career. We become obsessed with our career and and being successful and climbing the ladders to the neglect of our marriage or the neglect of our kids and our families. It becomes all about the job. We become workaholics. Or number five, desire for security. We all desire to be secure. You know, and and so that can lead to hoarding, right? And it can lead to greed and a lack of generosity. So those are just kind of five of those internal desires that that cause us to want to open the door and go out and be where we ought not to be. Now here's here's the challenge. I got all this stuff going on inside of me that's, that's, let's say, potentially in me. And then outside of me, I have these triggers. Remember the world system? I have these triggers that are trying to get me to come out the door or to open the door and let them come in. And we let them in more than we realize. We see, what, do you see, what do you mean by triggers? And I thought long and hard about that, and I thought, okay, I have mosquitoes down for, um, you know, describing being demonized. You know, how can I explain triggers? And, and then this, I'm very visual, so this is what came to mind. I want to show you a picture. Uh, I, had, I had like half a bagel so far today, and um, I'm hungry, and I, how many of you like cinnamon rolls, All right? So I'm, I've laid up in the airport a lot, and I, you know, I, I'm not a fan of being in the airport, but I love walking by Cinnabon. <laughs> it's, I, it's almost like a drug, or Auntie James, right? I mean that will cause me to, you know, to spend a little bit of money. That, look at that beautiful, warm cinnamon roll with that glaze dripping off of it. I'm not a coffee drinker, but that latte is so pretty, I'd be tempted to take a sip of it. It didn't look good. By the way, at some corners, they make pretty lattes too. I don't know about you, but I'm hungry right now. How about you? Now see, up until I showed you that picture, you probably weren't thinking about this. You may have been thinking about other things, but you weren't thinking about this. But now that I've showed this, I've triggered something in your brain and in your body. I mean, just go, just smell. Can't you almost smell it? I can. I can almost taste it. In fact, some of you, I've ruined the rest of the service for you because all you're gonna think about now is where can I still get a hot cinnamon roll? Where are they serving brunch today? Where can I get my latte? It's just what a trigger does. A trigger kind of pokes itself if the door's left ajar and says, I'm available. And what are the triggers today? They're all over the place. Triggers on the internet, on billboards, magazines and television shows and movies. The media is full of them. But there are triggers at school, human triggers, right? People, 
There are, there are triggers in our family. There are triggers in our past. Or, I mean, it's all over the place, all over the place. And our job is not to walk through. Our job is not to let it get to us. And that is challenging. Let me tell you why. Let's go back to the story for a moment. There's a line in the story I want to pull out. It says, this man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, which means that at one point he could be restrained. But he's grown so strong that you know, he can smash the shackles. He can break the chains now. In other words, he's given himself over to the devil so much that he's become actually stronger. But in a sense, as, even though he's become stronger, he's, he's also, look, he's lost his freedom. He's been taken over. Listen to me carefully. You know this, but let me remind us. If you, gave, if you cave to your desires, if you give in and go out those doors, if you, if you give yourself over to being demonized, those desires in your life are going to get stronger. And the stronger those desires become, more than likely, you'll get what you want. And the more you get what you want, the more you want it. And what ends up happening is you lose all your freedom. You become controlled by those things. So for example, if I, if I desperately want approval, I can easily become controlled by the need for approval. If I'm into power and control, I become controlled by needing power and control. If it's all about success and pleasure, let's say sex, because that's such a big deal in our culture, then sex takes control of my life. If it's about success, my career takes control of my life. If it's about security, being secure takes control of my life. So, you know, here's the deal. A lot of us look at this passage and we think about, you know, that demonized guy as something really weird and way over there and I'm never going to have to deal with that, and I'm not even sure people can be possessed by demons. And while we're thinking that to ourselves, guess what? We're being demonized. We're being influenced way more than we realize or think by the realm that is all around us. And who's holding the stick? The evil one. And he's just baiting us, and he's having a great time with us. The greatest thing he can do is get us to be convinced he doesn't exist, because then he really has us. So the question becomes, you know, how do you overcome all that? How do you, how do you not be affected by that? And I'm going to show you a couple of different ways, but let me just make this point. Recognize the source of your power to defeat evil. You don't have to be the victim. You can defeat evil. There's a power at work in you that can defeat evil. Let me show you what I mean. Let's pick the story up at verse 6. It says, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. Pay attention to that. Bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Remember what Jesus said to the wind and the waves? Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. Legion, you know what Legion means? It means thousands. This guy was like totally messed up. 
But I love this story because it doesn't matter how many thousands of demons there are, once they meet Jesus, they fall to the ground. In the ancient world, they performed exorcisms in many different religions to this very day. And when they do that, when they perform an exorcism over somebody they think is possessed by a spirit, they will always call on a higher power, all right? You don't see Jesus doing this. He doesn't call on a higher power because he's what? He's the highest power. You don't see Jesus pacing back and forth on a stage with a do-rag wiping the sweat off of himself with a choir behind him or a band backing him up, kind of working up the emotions to say something and finally cast the demon out and have the guy fall over. Jesus doesn't need to do that. Just like he said to the storm, so pia pathismo. He can say, leave, and it's done. And that power, listen, as a believer, that power rests and lives in you and me. And that should give us great hope and, and great confidence. Look at Mark chapter 5. Let's pick it up verse 11. It says, there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, so Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirit came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Do you realize that if, if the news media had been around in those days, can you imagine all the sympathy and concern about the swine? Those poor pigs. How could Jesus let that happen? Look what happens here. Verse four, the herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. I love this. He was sitting there fully clothed. He'd been naked, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Verse 16, then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Isn't that amazing? Like, instead of being happy, I mean, that could have been somebody's brother or son or father. I don't know. Instead of rejoicing about it, they're like, we'd rather have him demonized and our pigs back and you out of here. Because that was their economy. And for us to get all worked up about the pigs, I mean, what matters more, a man's soul or his possessions? Verse 17, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus, go away and leave them alone. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, but Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region do you realize he's the first evangelist in the Bible, in the New Testament? The first Gentile evangelist. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of the region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. I just want to quick share with you three points. And I mean like really quick because they're so simple. And they're reminders of how, because of who Jesus is in our lives, how we have victory and can have victory over the evil one. Here's the first point, really simple. Realize that you are never helpless against the evil one. You are, as a child of God, you are never helpless against the evil one. Look out 1 John 4, 4 later on. It's that passage that says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I need to wake up every day with that confidence. Belief leads to knowledge. Knowledge leads to faith. Number two, clothe yourself with the spirit 
and the truth, and evil will keep its distance. I mean, if I'm gonna go running outside in the summertime by a lake or in the woods, especially toward evening, I buy the stuff called off and I spray it. It's supposed to keep the mosquitoes off. This guy was naked. Now it says he was clothed. What a beautiful symbol. I need to spray the truth on. I need to clothe myself in the truth. That's what keeps the demons, that's what keeps the world system away from me. That's why it says in Ephesians 6, that passage there, where Paul says, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of the unseen realm. He says, so put on the armor of God. And the first thing he says we're to put on is the belt of what? The belt of truth. Satan's greatest weapon are lies and deceit. And the counter weapon is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I've got I've to, you know, just like you put sunblock on, man, I've got to put the truth on. And it's got to be more than showing up on a Sunday morning once in a while. It's like every day, I, 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 gotta, I want intake of the truth. Every day I want to put that belt of truth on. I want to decide I'm going to live by the truth today. I'm not going to believe something that doesn't square with the word of God. I don't care what my emotions say to me. I don't care what my peers say to me. I don't care what the media or some celebrity say, says to me. I don't care what the preacher says to me. I'm going to go back and say, does it square with the word of God? And if it doesn't, I'm not going to do it. I'm keeping that door closed. I'm going to discipline the lust of my flesh, the lust of my eyes, the pride of life. I'm going to discipline it with the truth. Last but not least, be on mission with Jesus. You know, be busy doing God's work. You won't have time then for the devil's play. What gets us in trouble is when we allow our minds to start, our minds to begin to wander, when we get bored when we're looking for relief in some way. That's where we get in trouble. We need to be busy doing the work of God, seeing God at work. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? I was thinking about how do I end this message? And I felt like the Lord just gave me a question to ask you and to ask myself. And I just want to ask you this question just, just real quick. Is there any door in your life right now that's ajar, that's open? In other words, is there an issue going on inside you with regards to the lust of the flesh? Maybe you're struggling in the area of pornography. It's a big epidemic in our culture today. Because you got on a website or some other means, some other way, and it's just causing problems. Or maybe sexually, you're, you're active uh, and, and it's not in your marriage, it's outside of marriage. Maybe it's a pride of life thing, or maybe it's a, it's a lust of the eyes thing. But what's going on in your life right now? You need to close that door. And you say, Lord, I'm sorry for this. I, I see where I've opened the door. I'm allowing myself to be demonized. I'm allowing my marriage, I'm allowing my family to be demonized. I'm, I'm saying and doing things, God, that's not, not helpful. I need to close that door. Lord, help us, I pray. Help us close those doors. Help us, God, to clothe ourselves in the truth. Help us to be in the place where you want us to be 
so that we experience the full measure of your victory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Dan.